2: Welcome to Our Wild World on this gorgeous Monday of July 1st. Today I'd like to start by saying that I do understand that this show and the subjects I discuss are not always easy to listen to. They are intense and perhaps a bit much to absorb in all in one sitting. However, I hope that by sticking with me, whether from the growth that has been achieved from the beginning of this series last year or to staying with me during any given episode, that you and I will come around to a better understanding that communication and sharing ideas transpires on many levels and that it takes a combination of serious and humorous ways to look at ourselves and our story of existence and find those parallels and parables that provide scope and the tools in the toolbox for our coping mechanisms as our world becomes more and more complex, busy, and globalized. Yes, we are facing difficult times, personally, humanistically and environmentally and it is our nature to feed to need to deny a certain amount of reality on a regular basis to maintain our ability to get up each morning and face the day but we are also facing miraculous times where we are continuously made aware of the astonishing abundance of life the wide varieties of behaviors of other beings that which make up our world and often us who we are. We are finding new and healthier ways to manage the scope of our daily living experiences and applying these lessons or understandings to the larger well-being of what ails all of us. As W.B. Yeats said, the world is full of magical things, patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharper. Just in case you haven't always been with me here on Mondays, I'd like to remind that this show is an endeavor to build a bridge, or several bridges, to put things together and widen perspectives, to weave together a tapestry of existence, ours and that of our wild world. This is big stuff we're talking about. There's so much to be known and yet to know. This makes for anticipation of thrilling excitement of things to come, but also contemplation over that which has transpired, to that which we would like to hold on to, keep, and nurture, and that which the time has come to maybe expand or to let go whether it be the Oreo cookie and glass of milk at the midnight rating of the fridge, for the good of our waistline, to some deep personal lifestyle changes. We are at a crossroads. Each of us need to decide which direction we'll go on the signpost of life, or whether we'll stand in in, in indecision or just go back home without exploring the boundaries beyond. We do all need to reconnect to joy in ourselves and the world around us on a whole variety of levels and depths or along the surface as needed, but we do eventually hit the place where the rubber meets the road. We need to remember our gratitude, but also that this is not a given to be taken for granted. And that's what I hope my erstwhile attempts here on Monday mornings can help not only me, but you too, to find a way to engage, without joy or gratitude, or whatever you want to call it, an evening of fun with friends, a concert, or an exotic dinner over a glass of wine, to a hike out in the mountains, or travel to a far distant land. Without fun, it's difficult to remember why we are here at all. A discovery of the meaning of life, a question that has followed humankind since we first opened our eyes to sun, moon, and stars, to seeing each other and all the living things around us that we depend upon for both survival and comfort. We are in a cusp of redefinition, a composite and conglomerate understanding of not only the world around us through science, but of the spirituality that surrounds us through our understanding of how this applies to our everyday lives and how we go about living them. So, of course, this being me and our wild world, I am not going to be talking about the latest new toy created to amuse the depleted attention span for our quest for immediate gratification, because, as you probably know, that is not my focus. I seek to highlight the incredible shifts in consciousness of who and what we are fundamentally to that which we too aspire to be, and how we go about relating to the abundance of life and wildness that is a huge portion of our planet Earth. This show, Our Wild World, is about building bridges of quantum leaps and connectivity that in one hour help make accessible some linkages that highlight our growth and about how the decisions we make every day affect us on a humanitarian scale and that larger scale that we don't often have time in our busy daily lives to sit and think about. You can take it or leave it as you so desire, but hopefully you'll have an interesting time along the journey and perhaps find yourself asking a question or two. If nothing else, these wanderings will provide a quip or two for the conversation at the bar over a beer or a glass of wine with a friend. Ultimately, my goal is to bring about hope, not despair, to light a pathway forward through the forest of questions we are searching to find answers to. Like a rainstorm, to wash away some of the clutter and detritus, to find some clarity in those singular shiny threads of wonder that weave this community of life together that surrounds us every day, the small miracles we have often come to take for granted. In this light, I know I must be making some sort of sense because our listenership to our wild world keeps growing. I presume this to mean that others beside myself are seeking to find and finding connections, and that those connections and pathways of thought are being made, um, are not completely off the mark, and are in fact helpful to a wide variety of pe- people across our world. Or, if not exactly helpful, at least intriguing enough for at least eight thousand people's to stop people, excuse me, to stop what they're doing and listen. Our wild world has truly gone global. So on this note, I'd like to take a moment to thank Voice America for their willingness to bring a variety of topics to so many people in our world's leading internet streaming live talk radio formats for the opportunity for me to speak my mind on such a scale. This is another little miracle, the concept and technology of which is really mind-boggling if one stops to think about it. We are all today finding ways to make sense of the realities and the possibilities available to us. We have listeners uh, for our wild world in Asia, Russia, the UK, Africa, the Middle East and the Far East, the West and the Far West, I'm grateful to my audience of listeners and filled with gratitude that this is something I'm good at and can do for you. People I may never have the opportunity to meet in person, but have had the opportunity to share some time, thoughts, and ideas, and to, in return, gain such a response from the world I am part of. Even though I am a drop in the ocean, I do know there is an ocean that I belong to. Rather than spend too much time on that and my luck in being here with you today, I'd like to stride forth, head up, shoulders back, a smile on my face, and bring you some of the very interesting tidbits that don't always make the front pages uh, of the news or the headlines when there is so much constantly happening, and to keep track of. But these are certainly headlines in the pages of our history and earthly existence, and our quest in understanding the meaning of life. So, on with it. Today, I'm going to shine some light on what seem to be the miraculous milestones in shifts of consciousness and policies around the world that recognize the importance of and the relationships with each other and the other earthlings we share share space with. We've scoured the news headlines to find emblems of hope that underscore how far we have come and some of the questions we must yet answer. We are in a poignant time where we have genuinely, and often radically, moved the paradigm shift of redefining and reimagining our place in the concert of life and how we relate to the other life forms of our incredible world. From evolution to renaissance, we are broadening our definition from what we are to who we are and the other living beings are, and upon time of decisions that ask us to question who and what deserves rights, as we've defined them in a dance with how natural law, or within the confines of the overarching laws of physics and elemental laws of life, has defined them, which can well lead us toward a universal future. As Muriel Marsher excuse me, As Muriel Marshall says in her fabulous book, Red Hole in Time, and I quote, People who write sentimentally about the good old days, cleaning up history to suit preconceived ideas, and to give children a proper respect for their forebears, and incidentally an impossible scale against which they can only measure their own times pessimistically, such writers give the impression that by comparison the world today is worse and worsening at a rate just two jumps from damnation. That simpler, harder-working, more innocent and moral times from when everything and everybody was natural and good. Actually, the bad old facts are much more optimistic for us. It's a given, of course, that, that as there are simply more of us today, and we are more connected than ever before, That on an equal par with how our news informs us today, we'll hear about more good news and all things being equal, probably a higher ratio of bad news. Okay, I hear you saying, what? Are you nuts? What about our current situations? War, weapons of mass destruction, poverty, terrorism, corporate corruption. Granted, yes, we still have a way to go. And that, my friends, is my point that we are in fact getting there. On a c- comparable scale of then versus now, on a per capita ratio, to get the same juicy news, today's headlines are drawn from around the world in other words there is so much happening all the time perhaps just as nasty or maybe a bit more inventive for our times that between the repetitious and mundane it takes us a bit more patience time and attention to find amongst the ordinary the gems upon which our future sparkles So, since this is a talk show about our wild world, I choose by design examples that are based upon our past and present relationship to nature and the other living beings and life around us, and how we are drawing on our rich history to engage in reimagining ourselves, the headlines that are establishing the foundations for coming generations of entrepreneurs and explorers, teachers and students and parents, neighbors and nations of our let's call it, transhumanist definition, if you will, from what we are to who we are. And in line of that, everything else that we live with. As I'd mentioned last week, our Western relationship to animals is not shared by all cultural belief systems. That due to daily interactions, proximity, and experience to a wide variety of non-human beings, there has evolved in most other cultures a more expansive view of animal potential, and that our non-human neighbors are part and parcel of the whole community." This inclusion allows for the understanding that we humans are not the only beings to have language, complex social structures, and emotional considerations that can be appreciated on a multitude of diverse levels. It takes many eyes and ears shining a light on the extraordinary happenings taking place throughout our world today. It is often through the help of friends, books, newspapers, and the Internet that a sharp-eyed listener or friend will bring an intriguing story or news piece to my attention. Alone, they are perhaps anomalies, but when put together, they point to a a profound shift in evaluation and thus a necessary revaluation of life as we currently perceive it. One such article is from earthisland.org and can be found under the unassuming headline of What India's Decision in Banning Captive Dolphins Means? From this seemingly banal and less-than-earth-shattering title, little would one think to consider just how stunning this decision is, and like ripples in the pound, how profoundly new information is impacting our relationships to each other and challenging the very core principle that up to now has been considered uniquely human, our concept of personhood. This article announces that last month, the Indian Ministry of Environment and Forests' decision to ban dolphin captivity within India, and the reason why why is making waves all around the world. This unprecedented decision is particularly significant as it reflects an increasing global understanding that dolphins, and thus perhaps other non-human beings, deserve better protections based on who rather than what they are. The decision, outlined in a circular released by the Central Zoo Authority, states that because dolphins are by nature, and I quote, highly intelligent and sensitive, they ought to be seen as non-human persons and should have their own specific rights. It says that morally unacce- it is morally unacceptable to keep them captive for entertainment purposes. This fundamentally opens up a whole new discourse of ethics in the animal protection movements not only in India, but around the world. The move came after months of protests against a proposed dolphin park in the southern state of Kerala in India and plans for other several marine mammal parks in other parts of the country. The article by Laura Bridgman outlines the scope and context of this groundbreaking decision. The concept of non-human personhood is grounded in the distinction between who and what. These two broad categories encompass everything on and off the planet. Humans are persons, otherwise known as who, while things, what, include all non-human life and all inanimate objects, from bacteria to monkeys to stars. In much of the world's current view, for something to be classified as a person, it is recognized as having certain characteristics, such as self-awareness, emotions, cognitive complexity, and other attributes we associate with humans. Having these characteristics means that the organism has basic needs that must be satisfied in order for it to live a fulfilled, healthy life, and that when these needs are not met, it results in suffering. Society bestows certain rights unto persons in order to ensure these needs are met and safeguarded. The needs of life, liberty, and freedom from harm, for example, form the basis of human rights. On the other hand, being classified as a thing either denotes an inanimate object or a non-human organism, both of which are assumed as not having the same needs as humans, because neither are believed to experience, in a human way, significant pain, pleasure, or similar sensations that stem from possessing some degree of mental sophistic- sophistication. Despite the fact that some humane laws exist to prevent unnecessary cruelty, animals are still considered property and are usually denied the basic rights of life, liberty, or freedom from harm. The outcome of this type of blanketing distinction is that dolphins, and it makes one thinks other species too, currently have much the same rights as inanimate objects. The animal captivity and food industry benefits from this distinction. They are able to exploit the lives of dolphins and other species we now know to have complex plex lives by denying them freedom and being allowed to cause them harm. With distinctions such as this, animal industries have often become quite adept at hiding the harm they cause to animals in their care. So right now we're going to take a break. I would love to hear from you. You can call in at one or you can send me an email at w-i-l-d-i-z-e at wildeyes.org. I'd love to hear your thoughts, your questions, and your comments. So give us a call, and we'll be right back.
1: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Wildlife. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one earth. If we don't care, who will? W I L D I Z E Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
2: Welcome back. And just before the break, we brought up the uh, latest news in terms of issues surrounding the concept and definition of personhood and India's decision to ban dolphins in captivity and how this works together to be a really astonishing and profound piece of news. It has been long proven through our science and outright experience that dolphins and also elephants, dogs, and many other non-human beings possess most, if not all, of the characteristics to qualify as persons. That is, they are self-aware, they can make decisions and solve complex problems, their brain structure indicates that they likely experience emotions, they live in complex cultures, and they use tools. Animal welfare groups have long been arguing that dolphins, and other species, ought to be considered non-human beings or non-human persons, but to many people and cultures, the concept of personhood remains unclear. It is therefore useful to understand precisely precisely what personhood implies, and how it is increasingly relevant within discussions of cestation and animal or non-human beings' welfare. Thus, the basis of reasoning behind the decision by the Indian Ministry of Environment and Forest stipulates that dolphins should be given certain basic rights. Not the right to vote, of course, but merely the rights not to be captured, confined, or killed, in order to prevent the suffering that they most likely experience when these rights are violated. So far, the announcement has been met with a positive response from governing bodies in India and elsewhere. In India, dolphin captivity is illegal now. It is over. They will not allow it anymore. India has carefully considered whether it is morally acceptable to allow dolphin captivity within its borders and it has answered this question with a resounding no. This progressive statement is helping to pave the way toward greater public understanding that many of our non-human neighbors are intelligent and emotional beings and thus a relationship that with them needs to be redefined. We shall all do well to take notice of this groundbreaking decision by India and what it has and the ramifications for the rest of us. This brings me to another headline, this time from ABC News, about a documentary film, Blackfish, that traces a 40-year experiment about killer whales in captivity and their use for entertainment and the relationships between them and their human trainers. Audiences are delighted when trainers and whales perform together at the marine parks that we have around the world. But the joyful scene of human and animal interaction, in this particular case, ended at SeaWorld when the trainer, Don Branchot, was pulled into the water and killed by the giant orca, Tilikum. Years later, questions persist as to what led the 12,000 pound 22 foot killer whale to behave in such a way essentially biting the hand that fed it the documentary blackfish examines whale and trainer how they arrived at that fateful moment and raises the question of whether killer whales should be held in captivity in the wild killer whales live in tightly bound communities where the adult offspring never leave their mother's sides Each community has a completely different set of behaviors, including their own repertoire of vocalizations. Killer whales, or orcas, have lifespans similar to the length of a human. Females can live to be more than a century old, while the males have a lifespan of fifty to sixty years. There is no documented case of a killer whale ever killing anybody in the wild. It's only in captivity where these incidents have happened. The first killer whales were taken into captivity four decades ago by teams in speedboats lobbing bombs into the water. The hunts separated killer, young killer whales from their mothers, destroying their social connections. So here we have a whale, Tilikum, that was captured off the coast of Iceland in 1983 when he was about two years old, taken from his mother at a very young age and dumped in this marine theme park. The young, subdominant male is always trying to figure out his place in the social order. And due to the captive system, with two male feels females as company, who continuously bully him, and at night the whales are kept in a holding pen just twenty feet across and thirty feet deep, a far cry from the ocean they once knew. In nineteen ninety one, Tillicum was responsible for the death of, of the trainer for the first time. So, to the delight of tourists at SeaWorld Orlando in 1992, there were no announcements about Tillicum's past. The very behavior of a killer whale isn't 100% predictable. From 1998 to 2009, SeaWorld Orlando generated 100 incident reports of killer whales engaging in, quote, undesirable behaviors, unquote including nearly a dozen that involved injuries to trainers. In the wake of the trainer's death, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, undertook an investigation of the incident, resulting in SeaWorld being ordered to keep trainers behind barriers. The requirement ended the intimate and dramatic acrobatic work that thrilled audiences, prompting SeaWorld to continue to appeal the decision. SeaWorld says that OSHA has a fundamental misunderstanding of how to properly and safely care for and work around these animals, but has also voluntarily, that is SeaWorld, has also voluntarily implemented significant changes to the training protocols for its killer whale program that so far have proven to be safe and effective. We have this concept that our zoos, theme, and marine wildlife parks can be an invaluable education resource to the millions of people who visit them each year, hoping they leave with a greater understanding of these remarkable animals and the challenges they face in an increasingly an imperiled marine environment. But my question is, do they? In light of the decision by India and the statement that dolphins and possibly other cetaceans and further other species may well be on the way to being defined as having personhood, this begs the question of whether our human species has the right to deny life, liberty, and freedom to other sentient beings. This also highlights the potentially very heroic and forward-thinking role our wildlife parks and theme parks can lead, can lead in the way of reorienting the relationship between the visitors and the live-ins, that is, the animals who are there for entertainment, providing the industry and the the uh, background for the visitors. and and who also have the financial resources to shift their entertainment, circus-like environments into that of true education, and while they're at it, to review their mission and reason for being. So now let's consider this story about a shark, an unwitting actor in a commercial being filmed for Kmart, who died in a swimming pool during the commercial shoot. The incident occurred on March 6th but came to light after the shark died uh, as a result of two whistleblowers from the set who were concerned about the shark showing signs of distress and contacted PETA, the people for the ethical treatment of animals and their animal behavior specialist. Unfortunately, incidents like this are more common than they should be. As PETA spokesman Julia Gallucci says, There are a lot of problems whenever very specialized exotic animals are used in commercials, films, and TV productions. Over the last few years, we're hearing more and more about animals being injured and sometimes dying on film sets. The most recent examples actually are domesticated animals. For example, during the filming of HBO's series Luck, four horses died. And during production late last year of Peter Jackson's film, The Hobbit, close to 25 animals died, mostly farm animals. These issues also point out that we need better collaboration between organizations such as the Humane Society, who does have the authority and teeth to monitor and approve or deny such uses of animals, and just us everyday regular people, that protections that are offered to endangered species are not afforded to animals that are not threatened, or those who are bred in captivity for the entertainment, food, or industrialized purposes for people. This brings us again to the shifting mindset and our relationship to other living beings, human and non-human. And the question I asked last week, I ask again, Should we be using exotics or animals in filming commercials for, product, for human-oriented products, entertainment, movies, and reality TV? And even more so, how will we go about ensuring their safety and who will be their voice? We have many organizations in place already, such as the Humane Society, PETA, and a wide variety of animal welfare rights and groups, both for profit and non profit, that are very much focused on answering these questions. And they bring these questions to their uh, donors and their supporters. But in the end, it's going to be up to us, the general population, and those of us who benefit or have to live with the destruction or the results of our actions while we use animals that uh, we're going to be the ones to decide whether this is something we should be doing or whether it's not something we should do and if we choose to do it the rules and regulations and management and humanity of how we go about doing this. On the other side of this growing concern is the continued and flagrant abuse of those animal rights we do have in place. For example, the news that broke on the evening of the meeting of the International Whaling Commission, the news broke that Japanese officials offered bribes of cash, prostitutes, and travel perks to delegates of other nations in return for votes on whaling policies. These relevant revelations come via the Times in London, which sent two undercover reporters to pose as conservation lobbyists for a fictional billionaire to offer bribes to the International Whaling Commission representatives from several small nations, and videotaped the negotiations. The result is a raft of embarrassing situations. Representatives of half a dozen countries say they are open to promising their votes to the bidder with the best offer often comparing the offers to those they already get from japan the bribes outlined in the times exhaustive report includes travel expenses and money for meals along with trips to japan where prostitutes were known to be on offer delegates from other nations talked about how japan's use of aid or its threat to withhold or revoke it was a major factor in how they voted on whaling ballots At issue is a controversial new proposal that the 24-year ban on all commercial whaling will be lifted to allow legal hunts for several whaling nations on a descending scale. Under the plan, nations like Japan, Norway, and Iceland, would be allowed a small, legal take that would decrease over 10 years and actually be lower than the number currently hunted by the three countries, which continue to whale using loopholes in the International Whaling Commission's law, or simply by disregarding it. This new proposal, being offered at the meeting in Morocco this month, is supported by the U.S. and several other nations, including Japan, of course in the end it's really kind of hard to pick the bad guy here who is more at fault the japanese for illicitly bribing poor nations that have no real stake in the fight or the representatives of those nations themselves for blatantly selling out cetaceans for free food and cheap flights or is it all of us who simply do not have the time in our busy lives to keep abreast of the rapid changes happening between nations and our environments, let alone the varying laws and regulation as to who or what we define as having rights. Then there is a story about the tourists who stood by while they killed a dolphin. A group of tourists on a southern China beach interfered with the rescue of a dolphin in distress, even holding the animal out of the water to pose for photographs before one of the dolphin's lungs collapsed and the animal died. Photos of the incident, which took place at a thriving seaside resort outside Sanya, was first reported in the China Daily and were posted online young men can be seen holding the dolphin above the water posing for pictures according to the newspaper local wildlife experts blasted the tourists for hampering the efforts of people trying to save the mammal If this had happened in the United States waters, these people would have been arrested and charged with harassment under the Marine Mammal Protection Act, which carries a maximum penalty of an $11,000 fine. And given that the animal died, here in the U.S., there is the very real possibility of the tourists or the people facing criminal penalties, including jail time. Of course, it's hard to watch and stand to stand and watch an innocent animal die. But it's odd how people can't project properly when it comes to animals. Rather than project what they would want other people to do for them, they should project how they would feel if the aliens did what they want to do to the dolphin or the animal. They would see it as abduction, even if the aliens meant well. They wouldn't understand that the metal probes and bright lights and spaceship were all about rescuing them. So you can imagine how this hapless dolphin felt in China. Generally speaking, people and cetaceans are better off staying away from each other in the wild, unless those people are highly trained and experienced experts. I would venture to say the same goes for other wild species and other mammals and the megafauna and even those smaller critters we share the earth with that we do not understand. Everything on this planet plays a role in the niche of life, creating this interconnected, intricately interconnected web we call life. Uh, we're going to take a short break again. I would love to hear from you. Uh, you can call us at one 472 5788 or send me an email at org. I'd love to hear your comments. I realize I often go on, uh, rather unstoppingly so I'm offering an opportunity for people to catch up with me and give a call in. You can also learn more about Wild Eyes at our website at www.wildeyes.org and learn about the projects and people and animals that we work with on a daily basis toward changing our relationship and bettering our relationship between humans and non-human beings. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and join in on our discussion groups on LinkedIn. So we'll be right back after the break and I look forward to you tuning back in
1: stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts VoiceAmerica.com. wildlife no wild no life big scary beautiful predators are in danger without them our rivers dry up our forests don't grow our communities go hungry our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect, it's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever. Or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to L.A. Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world.
2: Hi there. So just before the break, we left off with a rather sad and stunning story of the mistreatment and abuse of a dolphin by tourists on a beach in China. Um, neuroscientist and dolphin expert Dr. Laurie Marino from Emory University's Center for Animal Advocacy laments that we'll never know whether this dolphin was going to die anyway, but that does not take away the callousness of the swimmers, who thought more of themselves and looking macho than of helping a fellow creature. They made this dolphin's last minutes on Earth so much worse for him or her than they would have been otherwise. And for the record, my dear listeners, should you ever encounter a dolphin stranded on the beach, Aquatic Wildlife Rescue Centers advise that a stranded dolphin can drown in the water. So if conditions permit, dig a hole in the sand and cover its body with a wet towel and add water every two minutes. They should also be kept out of the sun to prevent their skin from drying or dehydration. Just as long as you don't stand around posting, taking pictures and posting them to Facebook. That type of inhumanity is staggering. So, once again, the point of today's episode is highlighting a reimagining and a recreation and a redefinition of how we humans are going to need to relate to our non human neighbors our non-human communities that provide for us and live alongside of us. We also have today a huge selection of material based on facts and real-life experiences that can help us understand to look at our non-humans to to human-to-relationships from a different perspective. Perspective. Consider author Mark Beckoff's Animal Manifesto, written in 2010, which is in the essence a call to action taking his audience his readers through facts that have been established through years of research about animal sentience and emotion and how they affect through research and excuse me and how they affect our society's past and current value systems a new model of mixing corroborated facts from science morality and emotion As we pointed out last week, there is a direct connection between mind and body and emotion that is hardwired to fuzzy effects as we, both human and non-human beings, interact with our environments and each other. Thus, also highlighting that the way we treat each other has an effect on our well-being. Thus, with other beings that are similarly hardwired, we can learn that doing unto others as you would do unto yourself has a deeper and wider meaning. This school of thought is neither radical nor extreme if you take a look at the depth and breadth of research and material on the subject by leading authors, scientists, medical professionals, and spiritual leaders. In Mr. Beckhoff's book, Animal Manifesto, he sums up six reasons to expand our what he calls compassion footprint. One, we and all other animals share this earth and we must coexist. 2. Science and research demonstrate that animals do think and feel. 3. Animals are thus and deserve compassion, our compassion. Connection between beings breeds caring, where alienation breeds disrespect. Bringing our world to a more compassionate place, whereby we interact and work with non-human beings and animals, will be better for the future of us all. By acting compassionately and expanding our compassion footprint to include our non-human neighbors, we thereby help all beings, ourselves included, and thus our world as a whole. Animal Manifesto is a book well worth reading as a considered voice for those other beings with whom we live, work, and care for, and who live and work and care for and provide for us on a daily basis. A similar visual manifesto is also found in the film Earthlings, narrated by Joaquin Phoenix, and is a lesson in understanding the role animals and other non-human human beings play in our human world and drama. Another excellent journey to understand the connections between us and all living things is a book called The Bond by Lynn McTaggart which is the culmination of more than 15 years of research and writings that put together the extraordinary knowledge we have gained backed up through rigorous scientific research that we now understand so much more about the interplay and interactions going on around us all the time from and by the various communities all playing a critical role in what we know as life. So as we move forward I would urge everyone to take a take a moment, stop look, uh, check through the internet and read books, and consider your relationship to not only each other, your family, and your neighbors but to your animals, the animals that you have as pets that provide the love and comfort and uh, are there for you and Our animals seem to know us better than we know ourselves. They see us in all our moods and all our glory and all our negativity, whether we're watching them or not. The same can be said for all the other beings on the world around us. As we walk down the street, drive down the highway, or walk through our national parks, there is an abundance of life that surrounds us, each of it living its world within its universe that may have nothing whatsoever to do with us, but still they have learned to live in concert with us. Living in concert with us has also provided uh, areas of conflict, and this is where we need to reimagine how we're going to live with each other not each other not only each other as humans but how we're going to think about the relationship of the other non-human beings that we live with i had an excellent uh, episode with ian redmond a few weeks back about the uh, individual and the power of one and if we look at our we have a tendency to see ourselves Each of us as individuals, as opposed to the group mind and uh, overall society and culture. On a daily basis, we're dealing with individuals. Well, in the world of wildlife and our wild world, the animal community lives the same. They are each individuals, and they are dealing with their neighbors as individuals. It's been shown through many f- films and documentaries and books, such as uh, National Geographic filmmakers-in-residence Derek and Beverly Joubert, how a community of lions, two prides of lions, and two clans of hyenas, all know each other as individual animals they live in the same neighborhood they understand each other's patterns they know who does what and they know who to stay away from and every now and then they know when and where to pick a fight for dominance sounds awfully familiar it sounds just like us so it is a an important question morally ethically spiritually and scientifically how we go about defining the rights and, let's say, personhood of the other beings we share our earth with. If during our political times a few years ago that we could give corporations the concept of personhood in order to economically benefit a campaign, then it follows that other living beings who are actually performing a function in this web of life also should have some sort of definition of their beinghood, so to speak. So that doesn't mean we're going to give them the right to vote or that they're going to be shopping with us down the malls, but we need to find a way to provide for their well-being as much and as well as we provide for our own well-being. The community of life that surrounds us is, is critical uh, to our very survival. So on that note, I'd like to provide a quote from Carl Sagan as you imagine uh, an image of our little blue planet far out in space, just a tiny dot in the universe. As Carl Sagan says, consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human human being and every animal who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and sufferings, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history tree of our species lived there, on a moat suspended in a sunbeam. As we evolve, we must have a multitude of opportunities to help us find our way forward. As with all relationships, they are a process of growth, acceptance, considerations, and ample amounts of give and take, along with our human ability to be open-minded to include all that we have learned. It seems that our time has arrived to rethink how we will relate to others and the world around us. The bright side of our world today is we can be so instantaneously connected, which can spur change faster than any format we've previously had at our fingertips. And yet... Like always in times past, it is each of us who carry the responsibility to use our knowledge for bringing about a wise counsel of how to best use our tools and cause to bring about and focus on the best we people have to offer, to learn from our mistakes and in keeping with our humanity and the essence of personhood, the right to life, liberty, and freedom from harm. It's so much less time-consuming and easier on ourselves to agree to disagree in our efforts to get along and live together on as far as what we yet know is a singular, singular miracle in our universe, planet Earth and its amazing life. We have only one Earth. If we don't care about our world and each other, who will? We are and we live amongst the miraculous every moment of every day. If we look back 50 years, we will see the incredible strides we've made while we also see where the plot has gotten a bit murky. But that too is the miraculous where each of us is a piece of the puzzle of life from our pets and our non-human friends to the wildlife that surrounds us which lives in a complete and altered community from that which we know. It is all a part of the miracle that we are here. Our job is to learn and make the very best of it all. I really don't think that's too much to ask. Do you? All the headlines referred to in today's program can be found online through keyword searches. Take a look for yourself. You may wind up on a journey of your own discovery of our wild world. I would like to thank all of my listeners and contributors for their input, feedback, and participation and simply for taking the time to listen to this show and your willingness to keep an open mind and create discussions. In today's world, going viral can be a great thing. As I said, I also thank Voice America, their staff, their bright minds, and positive outlook from the various hosts and shows available that create a connected community that reaches an audience far beyond that of a Tupperware party of yesterday. We truly live in an amazing and miraculous world, and wildness comes in many, many forms. I appreciate hearing from you, my listeners, whether you're listening to this show live as you contemplate your morning coffee or whether you've downloaded a previous episode, whether you've followed along from my stories from the beginning or you've just tuned in for the first time. After all, that's what this is about. How can you know what you're doing is having an effect unless we connect each other and also provide feedback? As always, I look forward to talking with you each week, and I always enjoy hearing your comments and feedback. For those of you who have tuned in for the first time, you can download our previous episodes through our archives at voiceamericavariety.com or iTunes and MP3 podcasts. You can learn more about Wild Eyes Foundation at our website at www.wildeyes.org, Facebook, Twitter, and our discussion groups. Start a conversation and share your thoughts. And again, I thank you for listening. This is Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World.
1: Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thank you.